Welcome to the Daiku Podcast with Gary Snow. Hi there, welcome to everybody as we put 2020 behind us and now we're well into 2021. I'm excited to bring the city's grim and Daiku system to life. Uh, I just wanted to remind you in our previous episode of my uh, journey into the role-playing game world, uh, going right back from the uh, Red Box Basic and uh, taking a long hiatus uh, after the second edition into where I am now, where I have a little bit more free time and rediscovering uh, my love of uh, role-playing and a long desire to... uh, design a game that I had been kind of picking at for many, many years. Um, When I thought about what really inspired me for designing, uh, one of the items that I really, really liked growing up was the Palladium Heroes Unlimited game. And I know that uh, Palladium gets a lot of knocks against it for its complexity. And, you know, there's some validity to that. And uh, But when I was growing up, uh, Palladium Heroes mixed with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Ninjas and Super Spies really scratched the niche when uh, we're not playing AD&D, so that would be 1E uh, for uh, those that don't know. Um, I really liked the fulsomeness of Champions, and I bought that giant book, and I really admired how they were able to design it to make your own superheroes and your own skills and uh, I mean it was pretty complex I have to say but uh, I with that my gaming group just couldn't buy into the system I think the uh, halo effect of Dungeons and Dragons and uh, rolling the d20 and hit points and uh, the attributes it just really made it easier to just stick with uh, the palladium system and Growing up on comic books, I always really enjoyed the superhero genre. Uh, I tended to GM those games versus play within the Dungeons and Dragons games. And uh, I found the balance though in uh, the superhero games to be very difficult. And I'm sure other people can attest to this that have run superhero games. A person with powers, you know, like Flash, uh, you have that speedster conundrum where they can just do too much or Superman indestructible. And I know there's systems in place that, you know, with the power you get a drawback or kryptonite, but it always seemed a little bit forced. And uh, when you have those types of characters that can either shrink or do elastic or phase through walls, it can really throw off some of your plans as a GM. So I always found that a little bit difficult. The uh, other conundrum with superhero games and going back to Palladium and how flexible it was uh, and uh, Dungeon Musings podcast uh, hosted by Kevin Madison. I was listening to one of his recent podcasts and he had uh, really hit on something of DC and Marvel Universe. You know, they have a rich history to pull from. Uh, and you want to play the heroes, but you also kind of feel like it takes away from your own creativity that you want to design your heroes. And so you feel trapped by this a little bit. Uh, And so you can design what you want, but also the world is lacking because they've had writers that have now been making DC and Marvel for, you know, 80 plus years. And they have a rich, rich history of talented people that have been building these worlds. 
and uh, it's difficult to compare. So it's one of those genres within the role-playing game world that's difficult to kind of fit together. And in when I played uh, as the GM and I designed my own world uh, city, in fact, called Grimm for the Palladium Heroes, and in the uh, early 90s, it probably was the last time I played it, but I always provided the city as a sandbox for the heroes to be in. And I wouldn't say that it stood out. Uh, I would, you know, at that age of my creativity, it was a pretty much a Gotham knockoff, like so many other uh, superhero worlds that I've seen. But in mine leaned towards more of a stylistically like Arkham with monsters in the occult. And I had different neighborhoods, Old Grim, Grimshire, Grimborough. Uh, and I've seen similar cities in various settings. It's like, it's like New York, but it's not New York. So it makes you wonder, why don't people just set things in New York? And, uh, you know, fictitious cities, the, one of the benefits of them is they really allow you to blow up the city, you know, and you can blow up the United Nations, and it gives you that maybe suspension of disbelief that a lot of players uh, and GMs want. And so my solution and approach in creating a sandblock city uh, where the, you don't have the speedsters that throw things off and you have um, a city that you can really blow up and have as much fun with as you want and trying to combine it with the genres that I really like as far as uh, the occult, a little bit of darkness and monsters and that our heroes aren't maybe overly powered and that those types of heroes are kind of more lo-fi heroes, I would say. Uh, the other things that really I try to add in with some thoughtfulness, I suppose, is to have it pre-internet. Uh, you can see on TV shows like Stranger Things, when you don't have internet and cell phones, it helps to develop the story and it helps to develop gameplay. And when you watch older movies like I might, uh, you go, wow, like that plot just couldn't work if cell phones and the internet existed at that time. There's a lot of stuff that goes into, uh, you know, traveling to a place to learn something or to get back to a place because you didn't know somebody was there. But a lot of that doesn't happen in the internet age. Uh, also extending to that into weapons and technology, machine guns can prove to be problematic in a lot of games, I think. Uh, in a lo-fi but interesting technology um, setting. You might have batarangs, rocket packs, James Bond type gadgets, limited technology that doesn't overpower a person uh, that is only with a gun or a sword. So it does help to have that kind of lo-fi um, world that you're working in. And then uh, when you have uh, control as a writer of a comic book or a movie, you have ultimate control out of of a situation, but when you have these uh, players that have, you know, unique abilities and powers that are just in going to mess up your storyline, it doesn't work. So you know the this when you have a control of you're actually sitting down and typing out the story, you have control. But I mean, it's a shared environment that uh, GMs and players are in, and you need to allow that flexibility. So keeping those power levels. A little bit lower and a little bit more in line uh, do help. The other thing is, um, for me, sandbox settings work best when the GMs don't feel trapped. 
and they can really mess around with in the world. Otherwise, you might as well just play in the DC Marvel universes. But it's like playing any licensed game. Uh, as an example, in Lord of the Rings, you want the feel of the game to be like the book. But you can't really kill Gandalf and all the best storylines are already kind of taken by the books or movies and later. Uh, and same with Star Wars. You want to be in the Star Wars world, but you want to play with Han Solo, but it doesn't work if you kill Han Solo. And so it really messes with the canon of the world or the canon of the world actually messes with your stories as a GM. And you, you want the feel of it, but if you can't actually play the characters and be in the world proper, then it's almost like you're doing an off-brand adventure within that world. And that's not really what I think you sign up for when you're purchasing that licensed product. So, uh, you know, going back to the city's grim and what's really helped me uh, drive the ongoing design is I wanted a setting that had enough meat on the bones that they could st step right in and have adventures. And I didn't want them to feel trapped uh, if they didn't remember a faction leader's name, for example. It's your world to blow up as you see fit, but it's not so barren that you can't, you, you're excited by being in the world. And that's the hope that, uh, you know, going into that design, that's what I've been trying to do is to make it an exciting place to be, but having so much flexibility that uh, you could decide to do almost anything in this world. So, uh, you know, going back to the design decisions, lo-fi pre-internet time frame um, and I wanted to make the era and time as intriguing as possible considering that pre-internet time frame so when I really thought about what would make sense I decided to set it in the mid 30s and prior to World War II uh, and one of the you know some of the reasons why going from my original Grimm for Palladium Heroes and drawing it back to this era it's perhaps when you actually look at the history of it, one of the most interesting times in the world. Uh, there were still mysteries left, uh, you know, undiscovered civilizations, um, undiscovered worlds. Uh, people were still at that point trying to fly around the world. And, you know, you get Amelia Earhart kind of era. The weaponry, just like I had mentioned before, it's not overpowering, but there's enough science fiction at that time that you could have these one-offs like the, the ray guns for a certain character. Uh, there's also a lot of political intrigue at that time. If you wanted to do spies mixed with the occult, um, there's, you know, the Nazis were coming into power, Russian spies. They always make great bad guys, and uh, it adds a political backdrop. That isn't hard to wrap your mind around. Everybody is kind of aware of what... Uh, was taking place prior to World War II and the build-up towards that. Um, and, you know, even the location, you could put it on North America, you, you just start to get into the conundrum of, is it New York but not New York? And eventually I finally took the plunge and I've gone a little bit further and the uh, city's grim is actually uh, set on a volcanic archipelago in the mid-Atlantic. So think, you know, Iceland, but further south and strategically located for travel between Europe, Africa, and North America, which actually creates a lot of a natural mixing of the different cultures around the, that area. 
So, uh, you know, when I was younger and watching Star Wars and they went into Moss Eisley, that's kind of the feel that I want of this city is that people from all around the world have come here to stake their claim or hide away from other places and it's kind of like a free port free city and I thought that would provide the most interesting adventure stories and also even getting there and people coming in con continuously en route you know travel at that point was really dangerous and exotic you have the uh, Pan Am clippers and float planes uh, as people might not know that um, planes actually didn't have enough fuel or distance that they could make it across the Atlantic. So float planes had to be made because they could actually land on the water, worst case scenario. And they would even have boats um, mid-Atlantic to help fill them up. And so when you think about the city's grim and its location, um, it's ideal. And tramp steamers, uh, people coming in, uh, you know, the Millennium Falcon as an example is essentially a tramp steamer. Blimps, uh, you know, the Empire State Building was actually designed to be a blimp port um, at one point because blimps were uh, going to be the future of travel until the Hindenburg disaster. And so travel to and from Grimm creates a lot of uh, adventure hooks. There's, uh, you know, King Kong was set in that same era, Skull Island, uh, people that can be delivering product from one exotic location to the next. It just opens up a lot of storylines. And, uh, you know, other genres that it kind of plays homage to and genres that I, you know, tend to really enjoy, um, from my perspective at least, is, you know, like gangbusters, but you get more than just gangbusters and gangs and police. Uh, there's the detective noir, but it doesn't have to be too... Um, uh, along that lines, but there's that element there, Call of Cthulhu. And uh, so one of the things is I really like the idea of Cthulhu, but there's something that I always kind of disconnect with as far as the, you know, the ancients and like cosmic beings and that kind of stuff. I prefer my kind of monsters a little bit more grounded in the earth uh, personally. And then, uh, you know, get, you get the adventure temple runs, much like uh, Indiana Jones, where it's kind of, there's so many islands and little crazy places and underground parts of this archipelago that it creates a lot of uh, intrigue. So it's kind of got a lot of different genres, you know, uh, movies and TV shows that uh, capture the spirit of it, Indiana Jones, uh, The Rocketeer. Tales of the Gold Monkey, which uh, when I was growing up, I really enjoyed really <laughs> looking back upon it. Pretty cheesy 80s TV show, but uh, I quite enjoyed it. I even have the DVD set just for memories. Uh, Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, uh, early James Bond, uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong. Uh, even the new Perry Mason on Netflix has that kind of vibe to it. Um, and I know some people call it diesel punk. Uh, personally, I've never really liked that term because uh, I don't think everything has to be punk. You know, there's steampunk, but ultimately I think it's a little bit lazy, uh, but I hope, you know, maybe it does help to identify errors. So maybe it does work, but uh, I know that this kind of look and feel to it has often been called diesel punk. Uh, and uh, 
the other thing uh, I mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, one item that's inspirational to me is Doc Savage, and uh, he's the original Superman. And his um, history is that he, a Superman actually copied a lot of his elements, but Superman was the first one to kind of wear the spandex. But Doc Savage, he had the Fortress of Solitude before Superman did, and um, he had his kind of uh, five. Uh, friends that helped him out and they went on adventures and they fought occult and they went to the arctic and secret passages and there's a lot of adventure there and it's pulp stories and uh, but the more you look into kind of his world and there's a huge huge fan base out there for doc savage and uh, his books and they're cheesy and they know it but it's kind of fun and i know that there's been talk at one point the rock was supposed to be in a new doc savage movie but that kind of fell away and I know that there's a lot of people that would love to see him come to life and get the credit that is due to him but uh, maybe that's for another day but I know there's uh, a, a lot of Doc Savage elements that I'm incorporating in and uh, so anyways I, I know that uh, I've probably been rambling on here quite a while but I just wanted to also mention that uh, Aside from the city's grim, uh, one of the ideas that I've been trying to work towards is a game system. You know, there's a conceit that uh, you can develop a game system that kind of works for you. And I don't know if other people are the same way, but sometimes I read uh, game mechanics and there's always that kind of one moment when I'm flipping through and I'm like, okay, I get it. Okay, I get it. And then all of a sudden, okay, you lost me. It's getting too complicated and there's too many different variations. And I just, you want something clean and understandable. And the way I've always looked at game mechanics um, was like chess. You want something that the rules are so simple that they can't be misinterpreted. Uh, or maybe that's not the right term because I don't like rules that lock you down too much, but it gives you a lot of flexibility to use those simple rules in a lot of different ways. And so that's the way I've been approaching my system. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's conceitful to think that you're designing something that, uh, that maybe hasn't been done before. And obviously you're standing on the shoulders of giants of everybody that's come before you. But, uh, you know, I hope I seem to have stumbled on something that at least works for me as far as uh, simple mechanics that you can use in different strategies for those more sophisticated players, but easy for enough for uh, new players to just grasp and just run with. So uh, if you want to sign up for that play test, you can visit daikugames.com. Uh, we're on social media, uh, Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, obviously, if you're listening, you've maybe heard us on our podcast. We're on all the different podcasting platforms. So once again, uh, you know, I hope everybody's doing well, uh, and I look forward to sharing some of the stuff that uh, has been in works for months. And uh, as we move forward, I uh, hope that uh, everybody is going to have a great 2021. So uh, until next time, I'll uh, talk to you later. Bye.